take a quick minute while we're down here in Haiti to um, take some time to show you the church. Uh, they're so grateful for the gift that you all contributed to and sent down. And so I just wanted you to see the property that, uh, that you all were able to help them uh, continue to pay for and, and, and the area that we use when we're here in Bible school. So Bible school is going on right now, but I want to just take a, a chance to, to show you the property. This area that we kind of walk into at the beginning is where they play games and it's so hot they're trying to hang tarps to uh, keep the kids in the shade. Over here are the, the new bathroom buildings that they um, built just a couple years ago which uh, have been a great addition for their church and for uh, especially the time where we're here and uh, we definitely appreciate that but you can see this is kind of their open area here that they can use and uh, over here they have their generator and a building where they store things and where they do some cooking for during the Bible school some more kids play in here in the shade and uh, this is the um, the church building this is their uh, pavilion that they use and they use the drapes just to kind of keep the sun out and um, if you remember we gave a gift a few years ago and they were able to put tin on the first part of the building here but still have just tarps that have holes and things in it here on the back side and um, so let me walk inside and it's not set up exactly like it is for church because um, we're doing using it for Bible school so the kids are using doing crafts here in the back they would normally have chairs set up all the way in the back, but this is inside the pavilion. And you can see the, the holes in the backside. So they have to move all the chairs if it ever rains because it drips. And you can see the tin up there. So that's kind of the front. You see how the chairs are typically set up. The money that we'd sent a couple years ago also helped them to um, pay for building the stage that wasn't here before when we first came down. And so that's been a great addition. We use that all during Bible school. We, singing and dancing up there and teach from up there. Um, this is actually one of our projector screens that uh, we used to use in Gaiman's and even the projector stand and we were able to send down an old projector as well uh, with Hearts United with Haiti as they, when they shipped uh, a new vehicle down from the United States and we were able to put those items in and they're able to use those. And uh, so you can see here just where I have the seats are you typically set up and uh, this is their building. We've got some circles over here that are the small groups that are going on right now and uh, so we have a group in small groups, a group in crafts and a group in games but this gives you a great idea of uh, the property. Well this morning we were able to give Pastor Robbie the gift that you all sent down to help pay for their church property here and so just wanted to give him a chance to say a few words to you in response to that. Hey, <laughs> I don't really have words to thank God for you for all your sacrifices in each thing that you put together so that you can be a blessing to the people in Asia. The children are happy, the church people are happy, families are happy. So through this little gift that you have been sent, just to be part of this great thing that God is going to do in Asia, your reward is not on earth, will not come on earth, but on heaven. I thank you so much with all my heart on the behalf of my people here in Haiti, the people of God that put, that put me as the leader to teach and reach them. You have been a blessing to us. 
from the deep of my heart receive my appreciation, love, and I thank God for you. Yeah. You see this man? <laughs> this is my man. <laughs> this is my brother. This is my pastor. And yours, you are my brother. My pastor. My, my, my mom, as Jesus used to say. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for during my sweaty face there. That's kind of a for me when we're in Haiti, and uh, they actually gave me a really hard time about sweat while I'm there. But um, so you got a little glimpse of that. But just to share that with you, as Pastor Robbie uh, wanted me to share that with you, just as, uh, an opportunity for him to say thank you for um, the continued relationship that we have with their church and all the gift that uh, that we collected during the month of June during our summer of generosity that we were able to take down for them as well. And and. The Sunday that we came back home um, in the service, they, uh, really us as a team, but really church, and uh, they been as ministered together to the people of Haiti, honor and merit Calico Community Church, and so they um, just wanted to give that to us, and just as a, a way of saying thank you and uh, something that we could bring back with us. Uh, that would just continue to express their uh, appreciation for uh, our, our relationship and, and, and your involvement and your sacrifice. And this is the team that we took down this summer with us. And uh, you see the whole team behind us. This is part of our team. And let me introduce them to you real quickly before they share with you a little bit about our trip. This is Dakota Moore and Noel Barno and Ethan Sensenig and Vanessa Binkley and Jen Van Dahlen. And, uh, you know, we, when we went down, we were able to continue. We go down with an organization called Hearts United with Haiti, which is out of the Morgantown area. And, uh, but we are, continue to partner each time we go down with uh, the church down there, Mitar Ambassador Church. And so uh, we spent a week there doing a, 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 what is it called, a Bible school? <laughs> so, well, I was there, I promise. Um, a Bible school with the kids there at the church and uh, able to do that along with them. And also uh, spent some time in an orphanage uh, there in, in Port-au-Prince as well as um, got the, the opportunity to do something that we call prayer walks. And, and some of them will share a little bit more about what that's like where we go through the community and interact with people and uh, just ask them if there's things that we can uh, can pray for them about. And so... That's kind of what we did while we were there, but really the reason that we go and the reason we'd like to take students down there every other year is because we really view this as a, a pretty powerful learning experience for them. It's an opportunity for them to, to learn about um, a different culture, to learn about how, how God is at work and, and, and working in a different part of the world, um, an opportunity for them to, to learn about the, the specific needs and issues that people face there in Haiti, as well as to learn about themselves and to learn about God along the way. And so, you know, as they enter into this very different and very demanding, uh, you know, experience, we, we find that there's a lot to be learned. And so they're going to share a little bit of that with you this morning. And one of the things that's true when we hit the ground in Haiti is it doesn't take you very long, actually about as soon as you walk out of the airport, that you realize things are very different here. And uh, things are, are just not the same as they are here. You've kind of entered a new world. And even something as simple as communicating with people uh, becomes something that's really, really difficult. And so, Dakota, can you share with us a little bit just kind of how you had to kind of wrestle through that whole issue of language barrier? Yeah, um, 
In the beginning of the week, it was really hard for me with the whole language barrier because every single morning at VBS, the kids would just run up to you with these big smiles on their faces and they would start talking to you in Creole and it was really frustrating for me knowing that I had no idea what they were saying and I couldn't respond to them. So most of the time you just kind of smile at them and you're like, I don't know what you're saying. So um, that was really hard. But then um, the more I kept interacting with the kids, it definitely got a lot easier. And later on in the week, we went on the prayer walk, and that was really intimidating at first because you're talking to strangers you don't even know, and then there also is that language barrier. But once we got past our first person, um, it definitely got a lot easier talking to them, and it was just so awesome hearing all their stories. And it was very evident how much they value their relationships down there, whether it be just with friends or family and they just love talking to people. Even though there's a lot of times you'd be walking down the street and you would make eye contact with someone and they'd look like they just did not want to be bothered whatsoever. <laughs> but then as soon as you would say bonsoir, which is pretty much like hello or good afternoon in Creole, their face just instantly lit up. So um, towards the end of the week, I realized that even though there is that language barrier and it's really frustrating at first, um, it's really just reassuring that Something just as simple as like a hello or a smile is enough sometimes. Yeah, really that value of the relationships that, that is something that we, we learn and get to see and experience while we're down there. And, you know, sometimes when you come back from a trip like this, you want to come back with these great big grand stories of how you, you know, made a difference and how you help people out. And one of the things that we realize is that, you know, these, we're not going to do a, a huge amount in one week's time, but we really want to be in this for the long haul. And, and that's why we keep going back to the same place and partnering with the same church um, over and over again. And, and one of the things that we found is that, um, you know, often it's the really small things that, that we find make a really big difference. And Noel, can you share with us just about your experience with that, just how something that maybe we take for granted or seems so simple was a pretty significant thing to the people that we got to interact with? Yeah, well, okay, so we went on two prayer walks, and on the second prayer walk, we went up on the mountain, and up on the mountain, uh, the people there, they're definitely poorer than the people down where we were at, so, like, they were living in little huts that you could build in a day, maybe, and we were walking around, and we were looking for people to pray for, and someone directed us towards a woman that we saw on the street, and... She welcomed us. She took us into her house. And inside we find a little girl of 12 years old who is paralyzed from the waist down. She had been hit with shrapnel from when a gunman came into their village and no one could treat her. So she, was, she had to spend her day either in a wheelchair or sitting on her bed. And as the mother just shared this story, it just hit me that, like, sometimes there aren't things that you can do. We prayed for them, and that's honestly the best thing that we could have done for them, because God works in mysterious and powerful ways, and even something, like, just as small as a prayer or a thought can go a long ways. Yeah, it's often those little things that we overlook and think that, oh, I'm just praying for them, but the, the power that's behind that and the meaning that that has in people's lives is huge. One of the reasons that we um, only take upperclassmen on this trip is because we feel like they're at a 
place in life where um, they're beginning to start to look outside themselves and not just look inward, but to look outward. And we think this is a great opportunity for them to go and kind of have their perspective changed a little bit as they experience some of these things and, and uh, you know, see some totally different things than what they're used to. And so, Ethan, can you share with us a little bit about uh, just your experience in Haiti and how it kind of helped change your perspective on something back home? Yeah, so every day we had small groups, and the last day of the VBS, which was Friday, we had um, every kid go around and name a prayer request. And the prayer request really just reminded me of how much we take for granted back home. And many of them were saying, like, oh, I I pray that my parents will be able to get a job. And I'm sitting there back home, I got a job, and I, I don't really appreciate it at all. So it really changed my look at life and my job because, you know, they're praying for their parents and their parents really want a job and they can't really provide for their families elsewise. So um, it just made me look differently at my job and really truly be thankful for that even when I don't really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a big perspective changer there and, and hopefully it's made a difference since you came back how you do your work as well. Um, but one of the, one of the things that that we find is is so impactful is the interactions that we get to have with people and and you've heard a little bit of that so far and and that's really one of the things that we focus on and and one of the goals that we have is is how do we continue when we go to continue to build a relationship um, in the short term with you know for some of these that may be the only week they ever spend in Haiti but also you know for the long term between their church and between our church and and between those who maybe have an opportunity to go back more than once. And, and so we've realized that um, how we do things when they're there are, is really key to uh, that relationship continuing to grow and continuing to build. And so we try to think about how do we do uh, the Bible school um, that we've had the opportunity to, to do with them for the last couple of years. And, and, and really, how do we grow the relationship between uh, the people in their church that we work with and our church, and how do we build the relationship between uh, the kids there and between uh, the teams that we take down. And, and so last summer we introduced the idea of small groups to their church, um, something that they had never experienced, but something that was very normal to us. And so we thought, let's try it and see if it helps. And so, um, you know, Vanessa, can you share a little bit about your experience in small group and just how that really helped you to, to find uh, some significant connections with the kids that you had? Yeah, so I, um, kind of adding on to Ethan's story, um, the last day we had a... Um, small group time, and every day throughout the week, we would have small group time after lessons, and I was working with the five to seven-year-olds, which was the youngest group, so throughout the week, they didn't really talk much, and they were kind of quiet just because of them being so young, and so this last day, we had a prayer activity, which, as Ethan said, we went around and we asked for prayer requests from each of them, and I wasn't sure how it was going to go because obviously they didn't talk much throughout the week. So, you know, I was thinking this isn't going to go good. No one's going to want to talk and say anything. And um, my translator, David, was a huge help. Um, He kind of just went up to the kids and was like, hey, do you have any prayer requests or things we can pray about? And um, we made it a a point to get around to each of the kids. And um, so we would ask them what their name was and then their prayer requests. And it started out with some of them would just be like, oh, I pray I can go to school. Um, And then their neighbor would be like, oh, I pray I can go to school because they didn't want to speak their mind. Um, 
but as we kept going along, uh, they started being more open and like one kid was like, I pray to be an engineer and then um, some kids were like, let's, um, like I pray that my family will be able to provide for me and get money so that I can go to school. And um, I think it was just amazing noticing these five to seven year olds who were thinking about their families and their parents getting jobs so that they can go to school. Um, because here we, you know, when I was five to seven year old, like I didn't think about, oh, I wish my family would have a job so that I could go to school. Like it was never about that here. And just to see that these kids are so young and they care about things like this, like it's just amazing to just see how God really speaks to them and he shows them that like it's real and they understand the problems. So I, I think that was really cool. Yeah, one of the things that this team, I, I think, did a great job at was helping us to, to um, move forward in some of the goals that we have when we go down to Haiti. And, and a couple of those that are really important to us are, are the, the, the fostering of relationships that you've heard us talk a lot about. The other one that, that is super important to us is that we don't go there to do things for um, for the church there. We go there to do things with them because we really value the partnership between their church and our church. And we, we know that, that we have as much to learn from them as they may have to learn from us. And I still think that we get the, the better end of the deal as, as far as the learning goes. Um, but um, they really helped us to, to, to grasp onto those ideas and to help move forward in, in that relationship that we've been cultivating there. And so I asked Jen if she would just uh, share a little bit about how she saw that um, as she helped oversee a lot of the, the small groups and things in, in Bible school and, and has the perspective of being there on, on a few different trips. And, and I actually asked her just to brag on our students a little bit here because they really did a fantastic job with all that we threw at them um, while we were there. So partway through some of our meetings prior to the trip, um, we decided as leaders we were going to have them team teach. Um, we've always had single teachers, and this year we decided to have two of them up at a time, and they did a fantastic job with that. Um, and they've heard me say this before, but I speak so highly of the job and the work that they put into the lessons and um, just how well that they did with that. They did a really great job. Um, and even with small groups, Vanessa said they were in... Um, three different groups. We had younger kids, a middle group, and an older group, and they did great with that, too. Um, they, one of the things I had said to them before we left was try to really learn their names, and they did. They did a great job learning the kids' names, um, where, like, the second day of VBS, we walked in, and they could say some of their names, and the kids were coming up. Um, but just the, a lot of the hand games that we were playing before VBS, they love. Um, and this group learned a lot of Creole, too. Um, I remember sitting down on the porch one night with a few of them and just sharing a few words and phrases that I knew. And by the end of the week, they were saying things that I had to ask them, like, what does that mean? Um, so they picked up a lot of Creole, which helped with some of that um, language barrier that Dakota was talking about earlier. Um, but then in our beach trip, um, it's always been a good time to do that with the volunteers from the church, but this year was a bit different. Um, there was a lot more interaction between the two groups. Um, they were initiating stuff with us. We were initiating things with them. Um, we took down a couple games. Um, Connect Four and Jenga were very popular among not only the kids during VBS, but also with the staff to, or the Haitian volunteers too. Um, so we played those at the beach and had a lot of fun with that. Um, 
And just some of the games, like in the water, they would be like, come play, let's play catch, and we'd throw a ball, or we'd play hand games in the water, and it just was, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time interacting with all of them. Um, and I said to Tim earlier in the week that the first few trips that we've been down, we took a lot of scenery pictures, mountains, and the roads, and all of this. And this year I noticed we were taking pictures of people. Um, and so the relationships that we built um, especially on this trip was pretty neat and to look through my pictures and go there's one mountain but here's you know 300 pictures of people so it was pretty pretty neat in the relationships um, and I read a quote this week um, that said love has no language barrier and it was so true with our group um, just the way that the two our group and their group just loved each other regardless of the language and we wanted to take a chance this morning also to thank all of you for the part that you played in this trip. And uh, we know that, that many of you were, were praying for us while we were there and even while we were preparing to go. I know that probably many of you supported uh, some of those who got to participate financially as well as, as the gift that you sent down for the church there as well. And so just thank you for your, your partnership with them there. And, and I know that many of you have not been able to go, um, but as you heard Pastor Robbie say, and as he tells me every time I go, this is his, this is his church in America, just like his church is our church when we go to Haiti. And, uh, and there is a, a, a very significant connection that is, that's growing there. And so thank you all for, for your part in that as well. And let's give uh, this group uh, just a round of applause for sharing with us this morning. Thanks, Tim, for sharing about uh, that trip and the experience and giving us a glimpse of what God was doing there. I think one of the things that we love to hear is what Tim said, that we're not doing something for them. We're not going to do something for them, but we're doing something with them. And so there's growth and learning that happens both ways as we participate in those things together. Um, you know, one of the things that they've done for a number of years down there is just prayer walks. And um, it's not something that's been a part of our church or our culture here, but just the other day I was with a couple of individuals from our outreach team and we were down in Reinhold just meeting people in the community, talking to them, trying to understand uh, some needs in the community. And as we were doing that, one of the guys that we talked to told us a pretty horrific story of something that happened in that week. And we just paused and prayed for him and uh, just talked to him um, and uh, brought his story and his struggle and his wrestling into God's presence. And so there's a part of this journey for us is not so much of things that we are learning are we are doing for them, but things that uh, we are doing with them and that we get a chance to explore those things as well. One of the things that anyone who spends time with me will discover after a period of uh, overtime uh, over is my love for baseball. Ever since I was a little kid, loved baseball and uh, had baseball cards since I was a little kid. Actually had that Ted Williams card up on the left-hand side. would be very valuable to now, now if my dad didn't take it back from me after he gave it to me. Um, but uh, uh, always a huge Baltimore Orioles fan, grew up in Maryland, and so followed them. And as a kid, I knew everything about the Orioles. I collected their baseball cards. I read the newspaper every night. I listened to their games on the radio every single night, talked to my dad about it, discussed it with my brother about it. I knew the players and their statistics. 
I was just absorbed with baseball. And anybody who would have a conversation with me about it, I could tell them things about it. I could tell them things about the players. As I was preparing for speaking, I was just in my mind scrolling through the players that I could recall from when I was a kid, about eight or nine years old, and who played what positions. And when they had their magical run in 79, when they went to the World Series and should have beat those stinking Pirates, but got, you know, got upset in the World Series, uh, you know, the, the magical run that they had, and who played in those positions. And so it's still all there, even though it was many, many years ago. And so that's something that I've absorbed and has been a part of my frame of reference and my frame of thinking. And, and this summer we've been, or this month of August, we've been in this series um, that's entitled Practices That Produce Transformation. Practices That Produce Transformation. If you weren't here with us a couple, a couple weeks ago, my friend JR got us started uh, talking about the caterpillar and the, the journey that it goes through to become a butterfly. And it's actually a gruesome journey. It's not an easy journey. It's not a pleasant journey. It's actually a gruesome journey. And sometimes when we think about this process of God changing us and, and, and us wanting to get rid of some of the bad stuff in our life and become more like God's son Jesus, we think that's going to be an easy journey. But this process that we know about here really reflects what that process is all about. And so last week, my challenge was for you to absorb God's truth. What would it look like for you to absorb God's truth? Not just read a verse a day, uh, not, just, um, not just read a verse a day for the whole year, but to absorb it. What does it mean to absorb something? What does it mean to absorb something so that like this sponge, you're so full of it that all you have to do is squeeze a little bit and it just drips out? just drips out. And I challenge you to think about what are the things that drip out in your conversation all week long? What are the things that drip out in your conversation with your spouse? What are the things that drip out when you're talking with your kids? What are the things that drip out when you're with your friends? And if you just open your Bible and if you just read a verse or read it out of a book, one, one verse a day and just kind of set it aside, it's not going to drip out of you. It's not going to drip out of you. But God, what God longs is He longs for you to be absorbed with his truth. And so last week I gave you a couple of verses. I said, I want you to take this home with you. And I want you to read them. Um, read them in the morning, read them at night, read them over lunch, write them down, put them somewhere, read them out of different translations of the Bible, listen to them on your phone, do whatever it takes for you to be absorbed with God's truth. And some of you did that. Some of you sat with it. Some of you told me about it. Some of you thought about, well, I wonder what this means, or what would it look like in this situation, or how would this happen, or how would I flesh this out? Because the challenge was not for us to just mindlessly read another page in a book. We've all been there. We've had a book to read. We've opened it up. We've read a page, or even watched a portion of a movie, and we, we realized, oh, wow, I just dozed off, or I just zoned out. I have no idea what I just read. But God's word is designed to transform us and is designed to change us. And so the question is, how could we absorb God's truth? And that's what we looked at last week. And this week we're going to look at another practice, a different practice. Um, it's going to involve God's word, but it also is involved this whole idea of prayer. This whole idea of prayer. And one of the things that I know that's true about prayer is people want to pray and people talk to God when they find themselves making a big decision. That's a lot of times when people talk to God or when they're in a difficult spot. But it's often when they're trying to make decision. You know, should I, should I take this job or should I stay in my current job? Should I spend or should I save? Um, should I go back to school? Should I change careers? 
And a lot of times what I hear people say is, I just wish God would tell me what to do. I just wish God would tell me what to do. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And maybe in those times, in those situations, you've prayed, you've asked God for direction, you wish you would hear something, you don't hear anything, you wish there was a lightning bolt, you don't see any lightning bolts, you know, at least that come close to you. And you just wonder, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And I want to suggest to you this morning that hearing from God is less about God wanting to speak and more about our capacity to listen. It's less about God not wanting to speak and more about our capacity to listen. And this morning, as we look at another practice that leads to transformation, we're going to talk about this whole idea of meeting with God. Meeting with God. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 5, excuse me, 3, 1 Samuel chapter 3, page 215 in the Bibles in your seats. If you don't have one, grab one of those. You can follow along or on your phone or tablet that you have with you today. 1 Samuel 3, and in 1 Samuel... There's a story that I want to spend a couple minutes on as really a launching point for today. And, and the book of Samuel comes right after the book of Judges, which we were in earlier this summer. The book of Judges was a time in the history of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, in which there was one phrase that marked this time. And that one phrase was, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I mean, they didn't do what, was, what God wanted them to do. They did what was right in their own eyes. So everybody did what they wanted to do. Everybody did what they wanted to do. And as you can imagine, what resulted was chaos, was chaos. Some horrific stories. We looked at a few of them earlier this summer. We'll look at more of them uh, down the road of these stories of what happened to a people, what happened to a nation when they were supposed to be following God. He was supposed to be their ruler, and they did whatever they wanted to do. And so that season ended, and as that season ended, the book of Samuel begins with the story of a woman by the name of, of Hannah. Hannah. And this woman by the name of Hannah was a woman who wanted to have a child, and she prayed and asked God for a child, but she was not able to have any children. She was what we would call infertile. And year after year, she would go to the temple, and she would plead with God and ask God to give her a child. No child. No child. And so one day she said, God, if you would give me a child... I would give that child back to you. I would physically give my child back to you. And so God answered her prayer. And the Bible says that God remembered Hannah. Now, it doesn't mean that God had forgotten about her because he was busy doing other things because God knows everything that's happening all at the same time. When the Bible uses the word remember, it means that he turned his attention towards her and then he acted on her behalf. He turned his attention toward her and then he acted on her behalf. And so God remembered Hannah and gave her a son, and his name was Samuel. And as Samuel grew and got a little bit older, by the time he got to where he could function on his own, probably somewhere in the four to six year old window, um, she took this little guy and took him to the temple. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? That a mom would take her little guy who she prayed and prayed and prayed for God to give him to her and take him to the temple to serve God. But that's what she did. That's what she did. Incredible woman to be able to do this. Um, and so she took him to the temple, and the priest in the temple was a guy by the name of Eli. And Eli was up in age, and his sons were not following God. They didn't have anything to do with God. They were off on their own, doing their own thing. And, and um, so Eli was thrilled to have a helper. And so his little, little helper is Samuel. 
And so Samuel's in bed at night, and he's laying there trying to fall asleep. And Samuel hears these voices, and he hears someone calling his name, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel says, here I, here I am, here I am. And he runs into Eli in the next room, and he says, Eli, what do you need? Here I am, here I am. And Eli says, I didn't call you, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. And uh, I imagine for Samuel it was pretty confusing. What? I, thought, I know I heard somebody. Was, it, was he dreaming? Sometimes dreams seems pretty, seem pretty real, don't they? Maybe that's what's happening. But it happens again. The, the, the same thing happens again. And, uh, and then it happens a third time. And the third time, Samuel got up when he heard his name called, and he went in to see Eli, and Eli realized something. Eli realized it was God that was calling him. He said, it's God calling you. And so he said, next time when you hear God, this is what I want you to say. I want you to say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down, and then the fourth time he heard his name called, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And what God proceeded to do is he proceeded to tell Samuel what was about to take place for the nation of Israel. He proceeded to tell him that Eli's sons were going to die some horrific deaths because they had abandoned God and abandoned God's ways and at the end of that chapter, chapter 3, it says that God continued to speak to, Eli, or to Samuel all of his days through his word. Through his word. I don't know about you, but um, I do know most of you, if not all of you, would love to hear from God. Would love to hear from God. One of the frustrations that I often hear from people when I'm talking to them about matters of faith is they just say to me, John, I just don't hear anything from God. I just don't hear anything from God. The amazing truth is God longs to communicate with us and he does it through his word and through his spirit. That God says if you're one of his own, if you're walking with him, if you're a follower of his, that his spirit is in you. And his spirit in God's word is how God communicates. But you can't hear God can't hear God. And the truth is, God doesn't just give what he wants, God doesn't just speak to people like me who speak in front of groups on a regular basis or people who teach God's word. God doesn't give it just to those select few. God's intention is for him to give his word and his truth out to everyone. And so maybe there's a problem with the way that we listen to God. Maybe that's something we have to consider. David said this, in Psalm 37, 7, he said, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. He says in Psalm 46, 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. But David seems to indicate you're not going to be able to hear from God if you're going constantly and you always have something in your ears and you always have something playing and you always have noise in the background and it's go, go, go and you never stop. And when you finally stop, you crash because you're so exhausted and so you're worn out. David seems to indicate you're probably not going to hear from God if that's the way you live life. But he says you've got to slow down. You've got to be still to hear from God. We're going to talk a little bit more of that next week. David seemed to understand it because David is constantly calling out to God and pleading with God and hearing from God. And I don't think it was just David. I think Jesus modeled that because Jesus would talk about over and over again that you have to leave the crowds and you have to go off to be by himself. And we'd go off to be by his father just to hear from his father. He would agonize in the garden with his father. He would celebrate with his father on the mountain when Peter, James, and John were there. 
And so what was it that was taking place in the life of David, in the life of Jesus, and why don't we experience those same kinds of things now? Well, as history moved on, about the 3rd and the 4th century, there was a ruler of the Roman Empire who declared that everyone was going to be a Christian. You had to be a Christian. If you weren't a Christian, you were dead. They would kill you. And so this whole idea of faith and culture got merged together. And what faith really was became very, very diluted, very muddy, very confusing. And so some people that wanted to follow God, they would leave the city. They would leave Jerusalem. They would leave Athens. They would go out into places far away from the noise and the busyness and all, all the people so that they could be alone and quiet and meet with God. These individuals were often called the desert fathers because they would go off in the desert, be in a cave by themselves because that's the only way they could hear from God, to get away from all the noise. In the country of Italy, across the Mediterranean Sea, there was a guy by the name of Benedict, around 480, the year 480, and he was sent down to Rome to study, and, and his parents wanted him to learn and, and become a, an educated person there, and he was a person of faith. And as he went down there and went to school, he observed all of his classmates get drawn into the sinful ways of life and, and walk away from God and walk away from matters of faith. And he said, I can't live this way. And he said he had to get out of there. And so he went up into the hills, and he went up into a cave, and actually lived in this cave for three years. Tried to hide from people. Some people would bring him food so they could survive. Some, people, some guys heard about it, and they're like, oh, this sounds like kind of a cool thing to do. We're going to go follow wherever Benedict is going. And so they went up with him, and they tried to live according to his way of living, his rules for life. And, and they said, this is way too hard. And they left. Eventually, another group came up with them, and they said, tell us, how are you doing this? How are you hearing from God? How are you meeting with him? And he wrote down what became known as the rules of Benedict. And there's three things they did. They prayed, they worked, and they read. That's all they did. Prayed, worked, and read. Prayed, worked, and read. But as they read God's word, they began to, they began to follow, a, follow a pattern. And this pattern became known as Lectio Divina, which simply means holy write, readings or divine readings. And they developed a pattern and a process where they would sit down with God's word, they would open what it had to say, they would listen to what it had to say, and they would hear from God. And then they would go and do it. And so this practice was birthed. And it's a practice that has been happening for centuries. Now in much of that day, they hardly had any written copies of this. Talked about this last week. Our culture before the, before the 14th century, what was, what was created in the 14th century that changed everything? The printing press, right? That changed everything. Before the 14th century, you had to sit and listen. You had to listen, and that's what they would do. They would sit and listen, but they couldn't hear unless they got away from all the noise. And so part of me wonders if our struggle to hear from God, if our struggle to meet with God is connected to the noise in our lives and the fact that we have so much in front of us and so much going on in our lives and our to-do list is so long that if I get, oh wow, I got, okay, I read that, now I'm gone and I'm done and I don't even sit with this and I don't ever absorb this and it doesn't drip out of me. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want to take just a few minutes and I want to explain a process to you and then we're actually going to do it together. Take us five minutes for you to sit with God's word, for you to absorb God's truth, 
And my prayer is that in this moment, you get a chance to meet with God and hear from Him. So the process is pretty simple. It's got five steps. The first is you read. You read a couple of verses, and as you read these verses, you say, God, is there a word or phrase that you have for me? Not one for everybody else, not, not the most important one, but there's a word or phrase that you have for me today. Today. Second is to reflect on it. This is the idea of meditation. We talked about this last week. Meditation. And this is just sitting in, with that word or phrase and say, God, why did you point me to that word today? Why that word today? You know, the idea of meditation is the idea of a dog chewing on a bone. Now, if you have a dog and, and you give a dog a bone, the dog usually doesn't finish that bone in one chewing, does it? At least ours don't. You know, they chew on it, then it lays there, and you're like, oh, there's that slobbery thing, and you throw it in his basket, you know, and then come back down, pick it up, chew on it a little bit more, right? And then gnaw on it a little bit more, chew on it, leave the slobbery thing there, and then you got to put it back, come back in it. I mean, some of these things, it takes a long time to chew that whole thing up, you know? If it's rubbery and soft like a pig's ear, they'll devour that thing in no time. But if it's a bone, if it's something to chew on, they keep chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it. And that's the whole idea of meditation, to reflect, is to keep chewing on it. And so sit with it and ask that question, why did God give me that phrase? Why did he direct my thoughts and my mind to that word right now or that phrase? The third is respond, and that's what do I do with this? What do I do with that word or phrase? What do I do with that? Is there something that God's pointing out and saying, this is something you need to, you need to take care of. This is a sin. You should confess this and change. Maybe it's something you forgot that God just needed to bring back to your mind. Maybe it's a truth he wants you to hold on to for that day, for this moment in time in your life and in your journey. The fourth is to rest. I'm not talking about taking a nap. Some of you may feel like you need to do that. Just hold on. We're going to be there in a few minutes. You can do that in a little while after lunch. But um, this fourth one is not about activity. It's not about doing anything. It's about you being contented and just resting in the fact that the God of the heavens loves you unconditionally and nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. We're going to read a few verses in just a moment that picture it. And one of the pictures that, one of the, the word pictures that God gives us that depicts rest and contentment is this. A child resting with its mom. A picture of rest and contentment. And God says, I love you so much. I want you to hear from me. And I want you to know this is my word for you. But before you go and do anything, I want you just to rest. And then lastly, to resolve. Go. Go. And do that. And live it out. And so we're going to walk through this process for a few minutes. So, um, we're going to read through 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and so you can either turn to it, it's going to show up on the screen behind me, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you just want to listen to the words, um, I would encourage you just to consider listening to the words. So as I read through this um, two times, I'm just going to ask you to sit there and just say, God, what's a word or phrase you have for me today? What's a word or phrase you have for me today? 1 John 3, 
1 through 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He Himself is pure. I'll read it one more time. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He Himself is pure. I'm going to ask you to take the next minute and a half, and hopefully God directed you towards a word or a phrase. And I just want you to sit with this question, why did God give this to me today? So just sit quietly and think about that question. God give you this phrase today. The next question to ask yourself is, now what do I do with this, God? What do I do with this? Listen as Carrie reads through these verses, and then I'll give you some time to ask that question. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But, what, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Okay, I want to invite you to one minute. Just sit and reflect on this question. Why, what should I do with this word or phrase today? One thing I forgot to provide some direction for you is what do I do if my mind wanders? What do I do if my mind wanders? You know, your mind can only focus on one thing at a time. can only focus on one thing at a time. And so if your mind begins to drift, just restate that question again. Say, God, what is it I'm supposed to do with that today? Remember how many times God said Samuel's name? Four times, right? Over and over and over and over again. So if you find your mind drifting, just repeat that question again and say, God, what do you want me to do with it today? I want to read a couple verses for you before we go into this next movement of rest from Psalm 131. They're going to come up on the screen. It says this, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I've calmed and I've quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. And so I want to invite you just to take one minute and just to sit quietly and reflect on the fact that the God of the heavens loves you unconditionally and um, no matter where you are right now. And so just think about that and thank him for that for the next minute. And so the last movement, if we can go back to that screen with the five that are there, the last movement is to go and live it out. Go and live it out. You know, the amazing thing about God's Word is that it says God's Word is alive and active. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. It's alive and active. 
There, there's no other book that I can open, that I could read, that points to something in my life and said, John, this is what I need you to do. This is what I need you to stop doing. This is what I need you to start doing. And I have a sentence from God. It says it points even to my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. And so my hope and prayer for you is that as you open God's Word, as you seek to be absorbed with God's Word, that you don't just mindlessly go through it, that you mindlessly check it off, and I did that, and now I'm going to be okay with God. No, God longs for more than that. God longs for a relationship with you. And He wants you to still and quiet your heart. We're going to talk next week a little bit more about how to do that so that you can meet with God. And so this week, my challenge for you this week is I want you to take and um, <clears throat> select a passage to absorb. Now last week I gave you some verses. I said I want you to sit with these verses. I'm not going to give you any this week. This week you pick your own. Pick anywhere from three to seven verses, and I want you to read them over and over again for the whole week. Read them in the morning, read them at night, read them at the table with your family. Um, play it so you can listen to it on your phone when you're going to work. I want you to absorb it. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to spend... Six to ten minutes, because that's how long that exercise took us. It took us about six minutes for you just to sit quietly, set all the distractions aside, and just like Samuel, say, God, I I'm here. I'm here. And I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. You know, the amazing thing is the God of the heavens wants to speak to each of us. And he's waiting for us to slow down to quiet our hearts, and to listen for His voice. Would you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? God, the fact that You want to meet with us is quite remarkable. That the God of the heavens um, wants to talk to me about what's going on in my life pretty remarkable my struggle often is to slow down to stop to set everything else aside even just for a few minutes to meet with God and Lord I pray this week for each of us Lord our, our challenges are different our journeys are different you know what's happened in each one of our lives God and you are just longing as a loving heavenly father you're just sitting there waiting saying I'd love to have a chat with you about that why don't you open up my book, my letter to you, read a few verses, and then let's talk. God, I pray this week might be a week in which we might have an opportunity to regularly hear from God and meet with Him. In your name we pray. Amen.